Greetings once again, dear listeners, and thank you for joining us here at the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the next one hour, and you are listening to Datum Line. In our last Datum Line broadcast, entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 9, we concluded a review of the 18 principles which undergird a credit money system proposed by Mr. Thorne and Warner in the Truth in Money book from 1989. Now, for new listeners hooked on the latest adrenaline-pumping stories propagated by mainstream media, this might sound like mediocre ancient history, but was selected because they reveal the convoluted mindset of populists and others who are anxious to implement the Communist Manifesto's fifth plank by nationalizing the Federal Reserve System. Like a rubber stamp, the same mythology is duplicated from one generation of social engineering godmen to the next in order to justify replacing one centrally planned and regulated credit system with another. The authors offered no constitutional proof for their many false assumptions, the most glaring of which was a belief that a sovereign government in Washington was somehow given the lawful power to create money out of nothing by a more sovereign, we the people, who never received such an unlawful power from the ultimate sovereign, identified as nature's God by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, and no mention by these reformers for any need to amend the Constitution. To the contrary, they assured us on page 222 that a constitutional amendment, quote, isn't necessary, end quote, because, they go on to say, one of the greatest gifts our founding fathers gave this nation is the right and the power and the authority for our representative government to create money, debt-free, and spend it into circulation for the benefit of all the people, end quote. A counterfeiter should be so lucky as to claim this one for his defense at the next criminal trial. As to how we the people could lawfully delegate an unlawful power, for which we'd go to prison if exercised, to another group of people called Congress. The authors never bothered to explain. But maybe your favorite monetary reformer at American Free Press or the American Monetary Institute would be happy to unravel this legal principle for you in simple English. Furthermore, the authors provided no weight of authority to even remotely legitimize the phenomenal and tyrannical economic power they proposed to give to Congress in defiance of biblical law. While I applaud these folks for taking an interest in the most crucial issue to confront mankind over the last few hundred years, their perspective is severely crippled by linguistic absurdities, intellectual dishonesty, historical omissions, a total disregard for basic principles of Anglo-American Christian common law, and a childish naivete regarding man's sinful nature especially when clothed with the awesome monopoly of federal power. What George Washington clearly understood, social engineers of populism totally ignore. Government, said our first president, is not reason. It is not eloquence. It is force. And like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. The authoritative nonsense of socialist monetary reform is being accepted without question by innocent spectators totally lost to the truths of this vital but murky subject. It's my opinion that no subject of such sweeping magnitude is so thoroughly misunderstood by those who profess to be its teachers. 
today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 10. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Datum Line. Well, greetings and welcome back to this segment of Datum Line, today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 10. We'll open today's message with a brief look at the stern, perhaps even authoritarian language chosen by Mr. Thorne and Warner in their 18 maxims of monetary science that we have outlined in this series. This will provide us with a logical pathway to the legal tender debates of 1862, where this same kind of rhetoric, sovereign authority and inherent power, those words, surfaced in debate to justify congressional violation of the Constitution by emitting legal tender United States notes, which, like the leaven of the Pharisees warned about by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, eventually gave rise to dishonored Federal Reserve notes and today's so-called electronic money. However, before we begin, and for the benefit of new listeners, I should point out that this... of a larger series available on RBN's archives and relies upon information already presented in order for it to be better understood. This series follows on the heels of another 24-part series entitled Dictatorship of Debt, preceded by yet another 13-part sequence entitled Debt Slavery and Language Manipulation, with each of these enlarging upon the other. Unlike talk radio in general, every datum line message from day one, now that's over 18 months ago, is linked to its preceding and following broadcast in an effort to increase the listener's understanding as to why major events occur, rather than simply focus on who did what to whom, which often leads to anxiety with no hope for meaningful solution. And yes, we're actually inching towards a solution, but this requires patient and thoughtful understanding of a subject, as opposed to a litany of diverse and highly emotional factoids, followed by the frantic cry to just say no to the new world order. Now, we're told in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 24 that wisdom is before him that hath understanding but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're pretty certain that understanding gives us cause and effect relationship understanding as to why things occur. But what does it mean when the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth? Well, that's sort of like the bottom line. You know, you've met people like that. They don't want to know why things happen. They don't want to understand the cause and effect relationships which would actually allow them to prophesy what is going to occur. No, they just want the bottom line. Why? Because they're too busy. Now, you've probably noticed that foolishness is far more abundant these days than wisdom, which, for a practical definition, is the ability to see a situation, perhaps like America's economic plight, from God's unbiased perspective. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 12 goes on to say, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. What does that mean? Well, I, wisdom, 
wisdom, being godly knowledge, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And what's prudence? Well, it's kind of like cautious, sound judgment. And find out knowledge. As I discover, I'm able to perceive the knowledge of witty inventions. Now, that's a clever one. What does that mean? Are we talking about the inventions of mechanical and electronic devices? Not really. You see, it takes wisdom and prudence to see through the deceitful machinations. That's what witty inventions are in this particular case. They're the unruly, the uh, maybe cunning devices of evil people. And it takes wisdom and prudence to see through the deceitful machinations perpetrated upon us by global financiers and their political puppets at all levels of government. Unfortunately, even the preachers of modern-day theology are too mired in warm and fuzzy feelings to teach their parishioners about the real world of fraud, deceit, and tyranny, to which their followers are then urged to render obedience, a subject about which the Bible has something to say. Consequently, wisdom has been supplanted in the pews by a degenerate form of simplicity. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 3, we read the words, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, Proverbs 27 and verse 12 says exactly the same thing. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. And hideth himself. And of course, we'd like to be prudent in order to be able to hide ourselves from the evil day that is coming. And one is coming. But what does it mean when it says the simple pass on and are punished? The word simple, in this instance, according to American Dictionary of the English Language for 1828, published by Noah Webster, means weak in intellect, not wise or sagacious. Silly. That, from his definition number six in which he cites an appropriate scripture, again from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15 is what he quotes, which says, The simple believeth every word. I'll stop right there. You've probably met people who believe everything they're told. Okay, They have no discernment. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent looketh well to his going. Now that's a little bit more obscure. What is a going? Well, going is, according to Webster's 1828, is procedure, way, course of life, behavior, deportment, course of providential agency or government. Okay. So a prudent man will pay heed to his own actions. What are the long-term consequences of what I'm doing, in other words? Well, in short, those who orchestrate global fraud, theft, violence, and tyranny have reduced modern Christianity to a state of ineffectual opposition, hobbled by an oxymoron called the Judeo-Christian ethic, a type of genetically modified organism developed in Rockefeller-funded seminaries. Now, our previous datum line broadcast ended with an introduction to the choice of tyrannical-sounding language used in the 18 maxims of the Truth in Money book at Appendix 3. This was their 1989 edition, remember. And they used the word sovereign four times. They used it in their maxim number 4, 14, 15, and 16, for those of you who uh, care to review those messages that we did on those maxims. They used the word authority seven times. Those were used at their maxims number 2, 3, 4, 11, 14, 15, and 16. 
they then on, went on to use the word power. They used the word power twice. Once, they joined it or coupled it with the word exclusive. So there was an exclusive power that, by the way, also uh, exercised by this sovereign government of theirs. And that was at maxim number two of their 18 maxims of the truth in money book concerning their legislative proposal for a credit money system. They also used the word power in conjunction with the word supreme, again, exercised by their authoritarian government, and that was at their maxim number three. They then implied force or coercion by using two words, both in maxim number six. One was the word made, which means to compel, in this case, not to manufacture, and the word requiring. Okay. Now, I could take a moment, I suppose, and review some of these, because this is kind of important, that we understand the mindset of the populace. Okay, we'll take a look at, for example, maxim number four, where they say the attainment and maintenance of free enterprise, that's interesting, depend upon the monetary authority resting entirely within the structure of the sovereign government. Okay? They will say, for example, at maxim number 11, all the money needed for a healthy economy must be made available continuously by the, continuously by the monetary authority. Maxim number 14 is one of my favorites. A sovereign government, exercising its monetary authority, creates money and spends it into circulation simply by writing good checks against no funds. Boy, get that one, huh? To pay, how do you pay for anything when you don't have any funds? For authorized national expenditures. I can't believe they put that in print. Fifteen, a sovereign government, exercising its monetary authority, creates money and lends it into circulation by extending monetary credit to the private sector at an affordable interest rate, and so forth and so on. Those are a few examples of how they use the word, use the word sovereign and authority. Well, this language, as I had mentioned in a previous broadcast, is very similar to that of a self-serving statement made by the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, where they said, quote, the federal government, with the cooperation of the Federal Reserve, has the inherent power to create money, almost any amount of it. This is taken from the National Debt, Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, page 8, circa 1980. They actually didn't put a date of publication on this little publication. The federal government, with the cooperation of the Federal Reserve, so you see the Federal Reserve kind of complements the federal government, has the inherent power. So the Federal Reserve is now laying claim to sharing in that inherent power to create money. It's amazing. It's just incrementally. It's by the leaven of the Pharisees that evil is propagated and grows. Now, you may have remembered the story that I told months ago about the taxi cab driver from St. Louis, now deceased. His name was Amos Bruce. And he had a copy of this publication that I have. And he wrote to the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, and he asked them, he says, why is it that you can create money but almost any amount of it? Why can't you create any amount of it? What limits you? And they wrote back to him. This is back in the old days when they used to answer letters. Okay. <laughs> they said it's the speed of the presses and the rate at which the public will accept it. Here's our music, and this is our next break. You're listening to Datum Line. I'm Bruce D. McCarthy. 
Welcome back to this segment of Data Mine. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. This is uh, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 10. Uh, we were talking about uh, the subject of inherent power, sovereignty, sovereign power, exclusive power, supreme power, and authority, uh, a position that seems to... Uh, take on sort of an authoritarian air in the populist circles, if you listen to them. And you wonder, you know, does the Bible, does the Constitution create this sort of sovereignty of which they describe? Well, we're going to look at the words inherent power to start with, and I'm going to take Black's Law Dictionary, second edition. I don't have the first, but the second edition is from 1910. And the reason I'm going back to 1910 is because I want to compare it to Bouvier's which will be in lockstep, word for word, and mine will be the third revision from 1914. And then I want to compare it to Black's Law Dictionary, fifth edition from 1979, which embellishes upon the definition. And I think you'll find the embellishment quite interesting. Inherent power from Black's Law Dictionary, second edition, 1910, quote, an authority possessed without its being derived from another. A right, ability, or faculty of doing a thing without receiving that right, ability, or faculty from another, end quote. That's the whole definition. Well, what's significant about it? Well, if the federal government had inherent power to create money, then that means that it had that power all by itself and that it didn't derive that power from anyone else. Remember? Inherent power is an authority possessed without its being derived from another. Or a right ability or faculty of doing a thing without receiving that right ability or faculty from another. Did the federal government receive any authority to do anything from anybody else? Or did it have it all by itself to start with? Well, all powers were given to the federal government by who? By we the people. That's what the preamble is all about in the Constitution, you remember? We, the people. I know there are people who don't like that, and, and there is a problem with that, in, in a sense, if we think that we're gods. But it says, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States. Following that, Article 1 says, at Section 1, all legislative powers herein granted. Granted by whom? Well, granted by we the people. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. Period. Okay, question. How about those powers that are not herein granted? Does Congress have those powers? No. How do we know that? Well, the Tenth Amendment tells us that. In fact, actually, Article 1, Section 1 tells us that. Because it says all legislative powers herein granted. And so if it isn't granted, then you don't have that power. But just in case you don't understand that language, you go to the Tenth Amendment and it says the powers not delegated, in other words, not granted, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, which was created by we the people, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Ours is a federal government, constitutionally ordained, 
with powers that were specifically enumerated. And if they are not enumerated, they don't exist. And so forth. Here we have the inherent power. We go to Bouvier's Law Dictionary, 3rd edition, or 3rd revision for 1914. Word for word, an authority possessed without its being derived from another. A right ability or faculty of doing a thing without receiving that right ability or faculty from another. That's what inherent power is. But now let's turn to Black's Law Dictionary, 5th edition. 1979. The first part of the definition is the same as the second. It's the addition that gets interesting. An authority possessed without its being derived from another, a right ability or faculty of doing a thing without receiving that right ability or faculty from another. Here is the addition. Powers originating from the nature of government or sovereignty, i.e., Powers over and beyond those explicitly granted in the Constitution or reasonably to be implied from express grants. That's not implied power. That's a usurpation of power. And that's completely different. So what is a usurpation? Well, we'll go to usurpation. Black's Law Dictionary, 5th edition. Quote, the unlawful encroachment or assumption of the use of property, power, or authority which belongs to another. The powers we didn't give belong to us. That's what the Tenth Amendment says. An interruption or the disturbing a man in his right and possession. The unlawful seizure or assumption of sovereign power. The assumption of government or supreme power by force or illegally. In derogation of the Constitution and of the rights of the lawful ruler. Well, it's a little different. So this is a bit of language manipulation. And I wasn't going to spend very much time on this, but actually this is a myth that needs to be addressed because it specifically applies now to the realm of economics, money creation. You're listening to Datum Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and here's our mid-time break. Well, greetings and welcome back to this segment of Data Mine. We were discussing the subject of sovereign and sovereignty, and we're turning to Black's Law Dictionary, 5th edition, for the word sovereign and sovereignty. Sovereign, a person, body, or state in which independent and supreme authority is vested such as a chief ruler with supreme power, a king or other ruler with limited power. Okay? Now, that word supreme is interesting because it came up in Appendix 3 of the Truth in Money book, and I'm going to refer to it now. It was maxim number 3. Remember? Monetary authority is the supreme power in civil government because money commands resources. Well, that's what they say, but just because they say it doesn't make it so. Maxim number two, monetary authority is the exclusive power. Well, that'd be supreme too, wouldn't it? Just another way of saying it. Monetary authority is the exclusive power to create and destroy money. I take umbrage with that. Uh, government doesn't have that power. Let's look to the word sovereignty now. And I'm going to highlight a few portions of this, which is a longer definition. The supreme, absolute, and uncontrollable power 
No, it's not answerable to anybody else. The supreme, absolute, and uncontrollable power by which any independent state is governed. It's the self-sufficient source of political power. Uh, is our federal government self-sufficient? Was it self-sufficient in itself, or did it need to get its power from somebody or someplace? It had to get its power from we the people, so the federal government was never self-sufficient in terms of its source of power. I'll move on. Quote, the power to do everything in a state without accountability. Now, can the federal government lawfully do anything that it wants without accountability? Or must it be accountable to the Constitution, which was created by we the people? So therefore, government is actually supposed to be accountable to the people. Okay? I'll go on. I'll take another excerpt. It is the supreme power by which any citizen is governed and is the person or body of persons in the state to whom there is politically no superior, end quote. That's the word sovereignty. Well, is the federal government sovereign? Well, constitutionally, no. But how it conducts itself, one might argue, yes. But then that becomes a usurpation, or perhaps not even a usurpation. It may become tyranny. And we may get to that. Let's take this word sovereign and sovereignty, and let's go to the Bible, <clears throat> if you don't mind. Well, interestingly enough, the word sovereign or the word sovereignty, neither of those two words is found in my King James. Okay? But there are principles which would seem to suggest that there is authority and someone who might be a master over a servant. And so let's go to those verses which are applicable, because I think they are applicable to the Constitution. We'll go to John chapter 13, verse 16. John 13 16, where we find Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he was talking to his disciples, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Well, then can a public servant be greater than his Lord? Which would be we the people. Neither he that is sent. How about a person who is a delegate sent to the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia? Neither is he that is sent, greater than he that sent him, perhaps to Philadelphia. Well, who sent him? The states sent delegates to Philadelphia. But who created the states? Well, the people created their own state governments in each state. So this is why the Constitution had to be ratified by the states in order to give the final okay or else reject the Constitution. The delegates could not write up the Constitution and then declare it to the people when they returned to their respective states. The states were now going to approve or disapprove what their agents did on their behalf. Okay. Now we find, for example, the Apostle Paul speaking in Ephesians chapter 5, also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, and in Titus chapter 2, verse 9. These are three times where Paul says, same words basically, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. So let's add a word or two 
for political embellishment and application. Public servants, be obedient to we the people that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Why? Well, because they took a vow to do so. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4, King Solomon reminded us that when thou vowest a vow, and the constitutional oath, by the way, is a vow that was taken before God, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he, God, hath no pleasure in fools. Maybe this is why Justice Louis D. Brandeis of the United States Supreme Court he served on the bench from 1916 to 1939, said in a case, and I don't have the case in front of me, but I remember the wording because it was impressed vividly into my mind. Government must obey the law scrupulously, for when it fails to do so, it breeds contempt for law and order. Well, the law that government must obey, first and foremost, is the Constitution, which is the contract that we the people imposed upon the bureaucracy to keep them from becoming tyrants. Now, regarding this concept of sovereign power and whether it lawfully resides in Congress, let's turn back the pages of time to glean a principle expressly stated in the contract to which elected officials voluntarily submit their fealty and obedience by a sacred oath taken before nature's God. And I'm again going to turn to the United States Constitution at Article 1, Section 1, wherein it says, <clears throat> All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. So if the power isn't granted, the power is not conferred. And again, the Tenth Amendment, which says, the powers not delegated, in other words, not granted, to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Now, there are people who don't find that very important because they don't think that there's anything scriptural about that. But these are contracts, and the Bible admonishes servants to obey their masters as unto Christ. I'm going to turn to a plea for the Constitution of the United States by George Bancroft. We've been here before on a couple instances. This was published in 1886. You might remember that George Bancroft was a famous, very well-known historian, born in 1800. He died in 1891. And in 1884, when he was 84 years of age, that's easy math, isn't it? The Supreme Court of the United States uttered an opinion in a case called Juliet versus Greenman, which in the words of George Bancroft was the, were the words of revolution. And he accused the Supreme Court of basically inciting revolution. And we covered that in some detail in previous broadcasts, but I'd like to read the introduction of this, uh, or at least portions of it, uh, in deference to uh, Mr. Bancroft. And I guess I probably should apologize at this point in time because it's evident that we're not going to quite get to the Lincoln-Greenback debates of 1862. And we'll be 
probably dealing with those in a number of broadcasts because there's a, an abundance of information to be shared on that. But this is important in regards to dealing with the subject of sovereignty and whether or not the federal government has sovereign power. Because George Bancroft, in his introduction, says in part that the Supreme Court of the United States was endowed by our fathers with a peculiar tenure of office and high powers of jurisdiction that it might be able to keep watch over the life and integrity of the Constitution. On the 3rd of March, 1884, without having listened to any public argument on the case, which was made the occasion of its utterance, it pronounced before a crowd of listeners an opinion in these words, quote, The power to make the notes of the government a legal tender in payment of private debts being one of the powers belonging to sovereignty in other civilized nations. Now, why would we turn to other nations to find out what the Constitution tells our nation to do? Nevertheless, sovereignty in other civilized nations, and not expressly withheld from Congress, didn't have to be expressly withheld because it wasn't delegated, and a power not delegated isn't there. So it doesn't have to be expressly stated, does it? Not expressly withheld from Congress by the Constitution, we are irresistibly impelled to the conclusion that the impressing upon the Treasury notes of the United States the quality of being a legal tender in payment of private debts is an appropriate means conducive and plainly adapted to the execution of the undoubted powers of Congress, end quote. Bancroft goes on to say, the opinion thus confidently expressed, if it should be accepted as law, would be a death blow to the Constitution, and it was, in defiance of which it not only gives a sanction to irredeemable paper money, but close the government with powers that have no defined limit in its relations to the people. Of the nine who compose the court, Stephen J. Field alone gave a dissenting opinion. It was eight to one. But there stood at his side invincible vouchers for the rightness of his dissent. James Wilson, Oliver Ellsworth, Oliver Ellsworth, by the way, was our third chief justice of the Supreme Court, and William Peterson, all three of whom, the president of the convention, which formed our Constitution, selected from among its framers to be its earliest judicial interpreters. So all of these served in the judiciary, appointed by George Washington. And with them are to be counted a cloud of witnesses, among whom are the master builders of the Constitution, Roger Sherman, George Washington, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, James Madison, and he even included Alexander Hamilton. I'd love to read more because he's worthy of being repeated. Nevertheless, I want to point out something with regards to the composition of the Supreme Court because when I saw this 8-to-1 vote, I thought, how could 8 strike down the Constitution of the United States with only one dissenting vote on the Supreme Court. So I went to Black's Law Dictionary, and you can do likewise. And you can turn to the fifth edition at page 1506, and you'll have the composition of the United States Supreme Court year by year, all the way up to 1979, which was the fifth edition of Black's. Here's the composition 
of Juliet versus Greenman. Wait. Chief Justice. Republican. Miller. Republican. Bradley. Republican. Harlan from Kentucky. There was another Harlan who's later on served in the Supreme Court, so they wanted to make the distinction. Harlan from Kentucky. Republican. Woods. Republican. Matthews. Republican. Gray. Republican. Blatchford. Republican. How many? Eight. Field. Democrat. Now, I hate to accuse anybody of voting in the Juliet versus Greenman case on party lines, but you remember that what they were doing is they were defending the Abraham Lincoln administration for an unconstitutional act, even though Lincoln was now deceased and could not be resurrected and tried for treason. But maybe there might have been a few people in his administration who could have been. Oh, and Abraham Lincoln? Republican. He received the nomination at the Chicago Republican Convention in May of 1860. There's something that really stinks about party politics, isn't there? Well, there's a lot more to share in this book. And I'm going to turn now to page oh, 54. <clears throat> Bancroft. He says, it remains to consider the new interpretation of the Constitution, which the court, Juliet, has put forth. It assumes that, apart from the grants by the Constitution, the United States has powers as a sovereign government. But this is the language of revolution. If the nine men to whom the Constitution and the laws entrust the executive power, the president, his seven assistants, and the vice president were to agree together to exercise powers as inherent in themselves because the United States are a sovereign government, they would be guilty of a conspiracy. Wow, that's strong language. And he refers to justice after justice. In fact, he even goes back to the Stuarts of England. Says that the Stuarts claimed powers as inherent in them as sovereigns. Their rashness ruined their own dynasty, not the Constitution of England. It was the happiness of Great Britain that the usurpations of the Stuarts were resisted by the great English lawyers and by England's highest courts of law. The Constitution of the United States does not create them a sovereign power in an unlimited sense. Our Union in its foreign relations presents itself with all its states and territories as one and indivisible, a garment without a seam. Boy, there's a biblical statement. But at home, we are states in union. Within the limits of the states, the government of the United States of America has no powers but those that have been delegated to it. And then he proceeds to go from one justice, chief justice of the Supreme Court, in the, the opinions to another as to the fact that the federal government is not a sovereign entity, that it was created by the people and was given delegated powers. I see that we're starting to, we're getting pretty close to a break here. So I'm looking for, oh, well, for example, Wilson, page 956. Wilson was one of the justices, was one of the three with whom Washington constituted the first Supreme Court of the United States. Okay. Now, Wilson had said when he returned from the Philadelphia Convention, they held a public meeting, and one of the delegates of Pennsylvania, 
to the Constitutional Convention, which was James Wilson. And one of the most efficient members of that body was selected to explain to the meetings of the principles of the Constitution of the United States. Accordingly, he marked before the meeting what he called the leading discrimination of the Constitution of the United States from their separate state constitutions. Well, there's our music. This is our last break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and this is Data Line. Well, greetings and welcome back to the final segment of this installment of Datum Line. And I was quoting James Wilson, who was one of the delegates to the Constitutional Convention, and he was explaining the principles and the distinction, actually, the leading distinction, or what he called discrimination, between the Constitution of the United States in contrast to the separate state constitutions. And these are his words, quote, In delegating federal powers, the congressional authority is to be collected not from tacit implication, in other words, not from inherent power, but from the positive grant expressed in the instrument of union, that being a constitution. Everything which is not given is reserved, end quote. And Wilson was one of the three with whom Washington constituted the first Supreme Court of the United States. This was from page 56, George Bancroft's book, A Plea for the Constitution. He went on to quote others, like uh, Mr. Pinckney, uh, James Iredell of North Carolina, who was seated upon the bench, I'm now on page 58 and 59, of the Supreme Court, James Iredell, by Washington, he was appointed by Washington within the first year after his inauguration. And Iredell was a judge, and as well as a man who left a name without a blemish, according to Bancroft. His words of 1791 agree with these which he delivered from the bench in 1798 in a case called Calder versus Bull, refound at 8 Dallas, page 399. Quote, it has been the policy of all the American states, which have individually framed their state constitution since the Revolution, and of the people of the United States when they framed the federal constitution, to define with precision the objects of the legislative power and to restrain its exercise within marked and settled boundaries. Chief Justice Marshall in 1804 had said with regards to this that the principle is now universally admitted. Why? What principle? That the government is acknowledged by all to be one of enumerated powers. In other words, if it doesn't have the power enumerated, expressed, delegated, granted, it doesn't have it. And here, in 1884, the Supreme Court of the United States, in Juliet versus Greenman, without hearing a public debate on the issue, pronounced, without any authority, that the power to emit bills of credit was inherent with sovereign government, and they actually cast about looking at European countries to see that, oh, there were European countries that did that. Well, the interesting thing is that the Constitution of the United States is not written in accordance with what they do in Europe or in any other part of the world. The contract was written by the people here to be governing the people who were bound by it. There's a principle of law that the contract only applies to the people who are bound or are parties or signatories to that contract. Bancroft went on uh, to uh, elaborate uh, not only the fact that 
these various Supreme Court justices, well, heck, he mentioned uh, Roger B. Taney, Marshall's successor, sat on the bench between Joseph Story and Smith-Thompson. And it was a unanimous, unanimous opinion of the court, read by John McLean of Ohio, contained very sharp wording. Quote, the federal government is one of delegated powers. All powers not delegated to it or inhibited to the states are reserved to the states or to the people. End quote. Hey, this is the end of our broadcast. I hope this has been of interest to you. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you have been listening to Adam Line. Have a good day. Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story. It's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people. And the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge and are prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for a private consultation. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited.
excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasteurized meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty arco super tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. 
Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and-lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and-lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not, or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be, and it really works. Take Extendivite for six months and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. 
My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilaji hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilaji Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilaji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Ciroc grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQRS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. 
Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me 